0: This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. No, yeah. Good morning, church. I got some good news for you. Whether you know or not, I'm not sure or not, but I'm sure we're going to be seeing each other soon. Um, One way or the other, things are going to start working out and we're going to get to hang out and it's going to be a good time. So I'm really excited about that. I know you're excited about that and I'm really looking forward to it. Our family is really looking forward to it and it's going to be a sweet time of fellowship when we get to see each other again. Amen. If you would want to open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew, we finished up the parabolic section or a parabolic section of Matthew last week. And now we go into another part of the book. And the uh, the title of today's message is Compulsion versus Compassion. We're going to be in chapter 14. You can, you can turn there right now. And I have a question. Have you ever felt like you were compelled to do something? I don't mean compelled like, like you felt inwardly that you had to do it. I mean that, that you were forced to do it by somebody else. Oh, wait. You're doing that right now. <laughs> You're compelled to stay at home. You're compelled to to social distance. We've been communicated. It's been communicated that that we have to be living a certain way, and there's certain uh, people who are saying that this is what has to happen. And What's our natural pushback on that? I think, I don't know about you, but what's your natural pushback when somebody's compelling you or telling you that you have to do something? Well, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do what you say. I don't have to be dictated to. I don't have to be pushed. I'm not going to be pushed around. And then we also see in the title of today's message, there, there's an, another word, another C word. It's compassion. And we're going to look at two rulers this morning. We're going to look at two kings, if you will. A king of compulsion and a king of compassion. The example for us is which way are we going to live our lives? Because if you think about it, you are compelled to do a lot of things. Sometimes you don't even realize that some of the things you do, you've been compelled to do, you've been forced to do, you didn't even give it much thought. I'll give you a, a Pastor Tim's parental fail episode. I know that you guys like when I do that, and I thank you for not overly judging me when I share these parental fails with you, because the Lord uses our families and our kids to teach us lessons about life, and it's usually very timely with our messages. So yesterday I made a mistake, a parental fail. It's my da- it was my daughter Mila's 12th birthday, And we were doing, as in quarantine style is popular these days, to do a birthday drive-by shout-out. By the way, when I grew up in the 90s, a drive-by was a bad thing. Nowadays, everybody's doing it, and people get super excited to go do a drive-by on their friends. So, that being said, I'm glad that it's a good thing now. Mila was going to have a birthday drive-by. And you know, I don't know for you, but... For me, whenever I have people over my house, it seems like I see everything that's wrong a half an hour before they get there. So I'm looking around, you know, nobody's coming into the house, but I drive up to the house from the store and I see, how did I blindly close my eyes every time I got home and walked into my house? I do not know. But when I'm driving up to the front yard, I notice the insane amount of weeds that are growing in my front yard. And we've got a half an hour before people start arriving for the drive-by, the good one. And we go in the house and, you know, Grace is talking to the kids and, and giving them instructions. Hey, guys, go out there and try and get some of the weeds done. And then I just cracked. And I started yelling, you guys need to get out there now. Like, we need those weeds gone. You got 20 minutes. I don't want to see a weed. If there's a weed, don't even come back in this house. I didn't say that. But, you know, it was a tense moment. My kids are great kids. They go outside. They start picking weeds. And I go out, and, and, I, and I start picking weeds with them. And you know how it goes. Maybe when you force somebody to do something that, I don't know if they you know, don't want to do it, but, but you're definitely the one making them do it. Maybe you don't feel anything. I started to feel a little guilt creep in. I compelled them to do something that needed to be done. The task, any way you cut it, needed to take place, but it's how I addressed it that really was an indicator of where my heart was at the time. You see I could have had compassion instead of compulsion. Instead of saying you guys get out there and get this done as soon as possible, in a compassionate way I could have said, "Hey guys, what are you doing? Hey. It's Mila's birthday. We wanted to have her we wanted her to have a special day. So let's all gather together and let's go outside together and As a family, you know, hang out, pick some weeds, make some jokes, drink some soda pop, lemonade, it'll be a good time. And you know, it didn't even have to happen that day. I could have had that compassionate conversation with my family weeks ago. We've gotten a lot of rain in Las Vegas this last fall and this spring. There's more weeds than there normally are. And two weeks ago, what have we been doing? Been at the house. Could have said, "Hey, let's make a thing out of it. Let's make a game out of it. Stuff that I I usually like to do. You know, let's make a game out of this. Whoever gets the biggest pile of weeds gets the less, least scoldings or no, you know, something good." But I didn't. I didn't say anything. I didn't plan anything. To the point where I felt compelled to compel others to do something because of how other people viewed us, really. I mean, that's on the real, right? What other people would think, oh, look at the Warholics, man. Mila's birthday, but their yard is, ugh. Well, we're all going to have to make decisions in life. We're all going to have to navigate through difficult times and there's going to come storms that don't just affect us personally, but affect all of us. Our closest, most intimate relationships, and people that we haven't seen in a long time. And the way that we process through that, and the way that we respond and not react, is exemplified in this text this morning, in Matthew chapter 14, between the way King Herod acted, and the way King Jesus acted. I'm sure that you've already turned there, so while I direct your attention to Matthew chapter 14, verse 1, let me go ahead and pray over the word that the Lord has for us today. Father, we thank you so much for your compassion. We wouldn't know what compassion is if it wasn't for you showing compassion to us. Even the world can get compassion mixed up with other uh, emotions, feelings, responses, but, but you demonstrate it perfectly. And God, we don't want to be those kinds of people that are forced to do things under compulsion, but we want to be like you in compassion, responding to events and things that we have to go through not only in the healthiest way that's possible, but in the best way that really represents your heart for humankind. God, I thank you that that you are handling all these things that we're going through right now. You are handling them. And we will not be shaken because we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Father, I thank you for that time of worship that we had to sing out praises to your name. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship and the study and application of your word. And Father, thank you for the tithes and offerings, Lord, that that it wouldn't be done in compulsion, Lord. It would be done as an act of worship to you. We love you and we pray that you bless our fellowship and, and allow us to gather together soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 14, I do have two definitions for you before we get into the text. The number one is compulsion, and the second one is compassion. The definition of compulsion is the action or state of forcing or being forced to do something, Constraint. The definition of compassion is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings of the misfortunes of others. Chapter 14, verse 1, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report that Jesus, about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Here we have the example of our first king, but it's interesting to note that it didn't say King Herod the Tetrarch. It said Herod the Tetrarch, and it says that because that is a title that was used during that time that was different from a kingship title it was a it was an overseer a ruler's title but it was but it was distinctly different from the title of a king he even requested from an emp for the from the Roman emperor for his title to be king over the area that he was in Judea and it was refused him so that gives us a little historical glimpse into the you know the the inner workings of Herod of Antipas, Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, that he wanted to be in that control. John the Baptist, as we're going to read here, there's a lot of things that we can talk about historically about Herod the Tetrarch, but, but we're going to see in this thing that he does that's explained to us, the kind of king, the kind of person that he was. And you'll notice here, as we read through the text, a lot of these things that he's doing, he's doing them in compulsion not out of compassion, not out of uh, uh, principle. He feels like he's forced to do it to be in the best position that he can personally be as the ruler of the area. And John the Baptist came against him. And he hears about Jesus and he thinks, this must be John the Baptist. Now, some people believe that because John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins that they looked similar, whatever the case may be, There was a conviction that Herod was feeling because of the things that John the Baptist was saying to him, which is in this next part. 4, verse 3, Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Now, from, from the very beginning of the story, we see that the, the compulsion is really ruling who King Herod is or, or Herod the Tetrarch. And John the Baptist is preaching against the lifestyle or the, the, the life choices that, that Herod and, and his brother Philip's wife left Philip and came to live with Herod the Tetrarch. And John the Baptist says, that's not right. And because of that, he took John the Baptist and throws him into prison. And it says that he wants to kill him, but why doesn't he kill him? Because he feared, always look when you see that word in the Bible, see what it's connected to. He feared who? He feared the multitude. He feared the people. So while he was making decisions under compulsion, even the people and his own fears were causing him to make decisions based on their influence. And this is, this is a cyclical thing. This is a, a slippery slope, if you will. If you live your life making decisions based on compulsive decisions for your own self-preservation or your own self-benefit, every part of your life will start to look like that more and more and more and more. It's, I don't know if it's a spiritual principle, but it's clearly demonstrated not only here, but in other parts of Scripture as well. We were covering 1 Samuel on Wednesday nights, and this was clearly the case with, with Saul. You start to make little decisions based on compulsion because of fear, and the next thing you know, your whole life is enveloped. Herod had big plans for himself. Eventually, historically, Herod is deposed. His ex-wife's dad of another country is mad at the way that he treated his daughter, understandably, putting her away to take his brother's wife in sin, amasses an army and comes and defeats him later. Going on down the road, Herod and Herodias go into exile together. They end up being alone, miserable, and their lives end committing dual suicide. Because their whole lives were wrapped up in their own personal kingdoms, what they wanted, and making decisions of self-preservation in compulsion. Now, I'm not going to write a book about this or, or try to, you know, draw too much out of it, but, but we have to learn some kind of spiritual principles from it. He feared the multitude because they counted John the Baptist as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and, and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. Question of the morning. Whoever gets it in your living room, give them a high five. What was the reason that Herod killed John the Baptist? Based on our Bible study this morning. What was the reason that Herod killed John the Baptist? If you said the word, give each other a high five. Compulsion. He was forced he, he could not move his hand. Look, look, read on. And his head was brought down on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. The king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him. He was compelled because what he said he was compelled by his his wife's daughter. He was compelled by his, I mean, not even his wife, his live-in girlfriend. He was compelled by her, Herodias. And he was compelled by who else? Those who were sitting around. And this was something that needed to be done immediately because that's how decisions and compulsion work. You said I can have whatever I want. I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, and I want it now, and I want everybody to see it. Now, Herod's in a position where he's having to make decisions. Even though he feels fearful, he has to make decisions based on living his life in compulsion. Forcing himself, forcing others, other people forcing him, fear forcing him. We see how this is happening. then we're introduced to, this is a great title I love so much. It brings joy to my heart every time I get to say it this morning, and I can say it outside of this morning too. But this is when I get to introduce you to the king of compassion, Jesus. Verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. I have that circled in my Bible, if you like to mark your Bible, by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Man, Jesus, Jesus just wanted to be alone. Do you ever just want to be alone? The jokes of, you know, you have babies and mama's in the bathroom <laughs> trying to use the restroom. And you you hear knocks on the door. And, and the cutest thing ever is the fingers under the door so they can get as close to you as possible. They might be able to see you. Mommy, mommy, mommy. And my kids don't do that to me, or I don't know if they do it to other dads because they know what will happen. Boom, right on those fingers. Just kidding, I wouldn't stomp on my kid's fingers. That's for the record. Gotta be as close as possible. I just need a break. I just need to rest in the room that's named after resting in the room, the restroom. And even there, I can't find any rest. And my fingers under the door are gonna stay as close as possible. Jesus just needs some alone time. Remember, I I told you I circled those words. By himself, he's seeking some alone time. In another study, when we went through the gospel of Mark, we have some more detail in this exchange. And we see that, the, that Jesus and his disciples, we're not going to get into it too much because we'll see in a moment a little glimpse of it. Jesus and his, exi- his disciples are exhausted. They've been working nonstop, ministering to these people. And all of them just want to get away and be alone for a little bit. Jesus just wants to get away and be alone for a little bit. He needed to reconnect and recharge. With the Father. But what does it say that happened to Jesus when he looked out on the crowd? He had compassion on them. Do you know why it says that? Because Jesus is the King of compassion. Don't let anybody else tell you any differently. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what questions you have. This statement will always be the absolute truth. Jesus is the king of compassion. He was moved. This, this word is a very deep word. He was moved with compassion for them. He felt so much compassion for them that it caused him to do something. It didn't compel him. It didn't force him. He moved. He wanted to meet the need. And he healed their sick. That could be enough, right? I think it could be enough. But then we have verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples said to him, saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the disciples away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The compassion of Jesus moves to the degree that he's, he does things for the people that's not even necessary for them, okay? People be skipping meals all the time. These people are walking and following him. They were all well aware of the condition of their stomach. They weren't starving to death but Jesus having compassion on them. And you know, I've said this before. I love the fact that Jesus loves food so much because I love food a lot too. Me and Jesus, we connect on that level. I cannot wait to be at the the wedding supper of the lamb. It's going to be a feast. It's going to be lit. Unreal. Food. Okay, back to the Bible study. He says, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. Jesus never tells you to do something or God never gives you instruction to do something without the available provision waiting to come in as you step out in faith. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes so that they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, this could be, you know, anything really any amount. It's more than, we know it's more than 5,000. Many commentators say, we're talking about 15 to 20,000 people. Hey, for those of you who are are in the the food service industry, how do you feel at the end of your shift? (laughs) How do you like pulling a double? How do you like being on your feet all day serving people? And then we see Jesus and his disciples under Jesus' instruction, based on connected to his compassion, serving 6,000 people, 7,000 people, 10,000 people, 15,000 people, 20,000 people, whatever the number was, because of what? Because of compassion for the people. Giving them something greater, giving them something greater than even just a, just a need or, or, a, or a want. Just giving them, this is a demonstration of the grace of God. Unmerited favor. The grace of God. He didn't even have to do it. He loved them. He had compassion on them and he did it. Oh, that we would operate, especially now. Oh, that we would operate in compassion in dealing with one another. Oh, that we would operate in compassion in in the way that we talk to each other and and we dealt with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Instead of compulsion. Instead of, you have to do this, you have to do that. They can't tell us this. They can't tell us that. King of compassion demonstrates to us the kind of ruler that he is. He doesn't make decisions based on fear. He doesn't make decisions that are connected on his personal benefit. He does it because he loves people. And here's a thing that kind of blows my mind. Maybe this won't make that big of a deal to you or mean very much to you, but this is what blows my mind. Jesus had the capacity to feed all these people. And to know, everybody that was there, and I'm sure, I don't know for 100%, but the the probability of there being people in that crowd that were going to be the people that screamed in the near future, crucify him! Crucify him! The chances of one of those people being in that crowd is possible. And Jesus, knowing who these people are, desiring to meet them where they're at, gives them a free meal? How many of you know that if you want to get me anywhere, all you got to do is offer me a free meal? You know, you want to have a meeting? You talk about business stuff or whatever it is, you know? What's the easiest way to make sure people come? Hey, we're going to have a meeting about this. Oh, meeting, I don't want to come. But we're going to have Chick-fil-A. All right, well, I guess I'll see you at the meeting. Sounds good to me. Hey, could you order me too? And I like it spicy. Jesus gives this free meal with no underlying reason. (laughs) Just because he had compassion on the people. You know what I would do, right? I mean, I wouldn't because Jesus would be there and I'm definitely not Jesus or whatever, but you know if if I if I was in Jesus' position, I'd be like, all right. You, 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 you over in this group. In fact, if I'm gonna draw a line here, I'm gonna number you one, two, one, two, one, two, all you people over here and all you people over there. Okay, number two is your losers. Get out of here. I know that you're going to forsake me. I know what you're thinking about me. I know what you're going to say. In fact, a lot of people do leave later when he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have, you have no place with me. And people were like offended. Oh, that's gross. We're out of here. Nobody was begging them to stay. But I'd be like, okay, you guys, you get something. You guys don't, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus feeds his enemies. That's funny. What, who's the person that you have the biggest problem with right now that you're having the biggest struggle with? Why don't you text them and say, hey, don't even bring up the issue. Just say, hey, after this whole thing's over and we're able to go down to a sit down restaurant and have a meal, I want to treat you to lunch or a dinner. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. It's a good example of compassion. You know, I've been hearing a lot lately, there's two sides of the coin. Man, we just needed to talk it out. Man, our communication was terrible. Multiple people. Man, we just never had that conversation. If the conversation is connected to compassion, most of the time, if not every single time, there's going to come a benefit from it. We are People of compassion because we serve a king of compassion. Amen. Verse 22 immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. This is, you know, something else that we've noticed is this word immediately. You see that Herod was operating in fear, immediately was compelled to do things in the moment. And Jesus isn't feeling compelled in the sense of of being driven by fear or whatever other people think. He just knows what he's going to do. He knows what his decisions are based on. They're based on compassion. They're based on helping people. They're based on meeting people. They're based on connecting with people. Jesus says he made, and you could make the case and say, well, he compelled his disciples. Jesus knew what was best. If Jesus is going to compel me to do anything, you better believe I want to do it. Because it's not based on fear. It's not based on anything other than him knowing the big picture and wanting to serve and love other people. He says, get in the boat, go to the other side. We're going to get some alone time. Go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now I have this underlined too. You know why? Because it's the second time we see this. Jesus while actively serving others in the back of his mind is looking for the next opportunity that he can get alone and have some alone time. And what does it say? It says that he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And it wasn't just for his own personal recharge time, but it was his connection to the Father. I wonder what kind of conversation that looked like. You know, because prayer is conversation. I wonder if Jesus brought up that. Oh man, Father, Dad, did you see that? You see the look on the disciples' face when we kept breaking the bread and, you know, passing out the fish, that was incredible. And all that God's heart has for you and for me through a time when we think we deserve certain things and we're complaining about other things, God's heart really is just to meet us and have fellowship with us. Like Jesus exemplifies by desiring to have fellowship with His Father, and the Father's example of sending His Son to be able to, so that He can be able to have fellowship with us, and the presence of the Holy Spirit bringing that all together and making that possible. Now, when evening came, He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. Sometimes you feel, sometimes I feel like Jesus has left. And then there's that, there's that little thing there. I've got, it, I've got another a box around this one. But the boat. But the boat. I'm over here. I'm okay. I'm chilling. I'm doing good. But the boat was in the middle of the sea. Tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. In the fourth night of the night watch, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately, we see that word again. Jesus is very intentional in the things that he does. And again, I I would, you know, joke and be like, ooh. (laughs) I'd be trying to freak him out, trying to scare him a little more, and be like, come on, you bunch of sillies. I'm just kidding. Stop being a bunch of pajama babies but immediately jesus spoke to them and said be of good cheer it is i do not be afraid the furthest thing or, or the thing that jesus or god the father wants you to be the furthest thing from is any state of fear fear is not faith fear is the enemy he says don't be afraid it's me it's gonna be okay and peter asked him and said lord if it is you command me to come to you on the water He said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus waited. I let him sink down a few feet, you know, take a couple gulps of water to let him know that, hey, boy, you don't got enough faith. So you got to suffer a little bit now. Uh, I think that the same kind of compassion that we see Jesus demonstrating on everybody, we clearly see in his exchange with Peter as well. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus doesn't not address the issue. He always addresses the issue. The woman caught in adultery. Uh, those who stood to accuse you are all gone, young lady. Why don't you go ahead and, and uh, why don't you go ahead and take off? But but listen, go and sin no more. There's consequences to the things that we do in compulsion. Jesus addresses the issue and he says, "You sank and I rescued you immediately, but but it's connected to your sinking is connected to your lack of faith in me." Your lack of faith that I really am in control. Your lack of faith that you believe that your own demise is in your own hand, and it's not. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now I like that this section... Ended there, and the reason that I cut it off here before we get into the next section is because it really does contrast the two leaders that we looked at this morning. It contrasted Herod with Jesus. Jesus' response in compassion and all of these things that they went through that day pointed him to being the Son of God. Only the Son of God can do these things. These miracles were not for the sake of doing miracles. They were connecting him to his deity. And no other person, no other ruler, no other king, no other religious system, no other of anything, nobody can take that place in your or my life and truly be. What we need, which is the king of compassion. Can you say that with me? The king of compassion. So the question I want to leave you with as we wrap our study up this morning, two two points, only two points this morning. Are we ruled, reigned, controlled, compelled by compulsion? You better do it. You better do this. You better do that. Are we led by fear? Are we pushed around, make decisions? Because what other people think about us, what other people might see, what other people might say, or do we function like Jesus? Can we function more in a place of compassion? I get to do it. I get to do this. I want to do this. I want to help others. I want to bless others. Because he who has freely received, oh, thank you, Lord. She who has freely received, freely give. And in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, that it's, powerful, and it's mighty, and it's life-changing. God, thank you for realigning our perspective that we are not people led by emotion, that we are not people led by compulsion, but we are people that are led by compassion. Because the example you set for us, the example that you are setting today for us, is that the king of compassion has compassion on his people. Come one, come all. God, we love you. We thank you for taking us to this deeper level with you through these days. Even though it hurts, even though it's painful, even though we don't want to go any deeper, help us to receive those things that you want to teach us through it so that we can learn to live and be your people a people of compassion through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We pray that you would allow us to meet together quickly soon for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Can't wait to see you. Hope that you have a blessed week this week. Let us know if you need anything, and we'll do what we can to help with hearts of compassion, not compulsion.